welcome to the Sports Pro Podcast with Sports Pro Editorial Director James Annett, that's me, getting inside the sports industry and recording it on audio. Welcome to another Sports Pro Podcast. I am here with all the gang today. Uh, on my right, uh, I have Michael Long, Digital Editor at Sports Pro. Hello, Michael. Hello. Um, to Michael's right, uh, Blast from the Past, the, his official title, uh, Global Communications Manager at Repcom, David Cushman. Hello, David. Hello. And to his right, uh, Adam Nelson, a newcomer to the podcast, a newcomer to Sportsbro. Adam Nelson, staff writer, hello. Good afternoon. And last but not least, uh, a man who edits Sportsbro, Owen Connolly. Hello, James. Owen Connolly, if you can give us a few of your highlights from the latest edition. Well, it's the broadcast special, James, so a lot of them pertain to the sports broadcasting industry. Indeed. Um, on the cover, we've got Delia Bushell, yes. who is the... Uh, managing director of BT TV and Sport, mm-hmm. um, talking about them going into the second chapter of of their operation after the the right spree and the launch and um, well after chapter one after chapter one yeah. and the prologue indeed um, going into kind of becoming an established player in in the UK marketplace. Mm-hmm. Um, we've also got an interview that I believe you did with Joris Francini. I did um, of IMG. Yes. Um, 11 Sports Network, Mike Long spoke to Andrea Rodrizzani about his new endeavour. Well pronounced. And um, we've got something from Adam Nelson as well on the Chinese marketplace. Mm. It's the Sports Broadcast Special, isn't it? It's the edition that we are sending to Sportel. Yeah. Uh, so it's action-packed with all sorts of um, sports broadcast, sports broadcasters, agencies... Um, everything anyone needs to know about the sports broadcast industry at yeah. Sportel. Apart from the things that have happened in the last week. Yeah, no, we haven't covered those. No. Um, Owen, let's drill down a little bit into your piece with uh, Delia Bushell from BT. Um, as you say, Chapter 2, have they succeeded? Uh, I think by their own metrics they certainly have. They've, they've you know, established a viewer base the number that they're using is that they've gone from naught to five million viewers in the last, or five million subscribers in the last um, two and a bit years, is it? Mm. Um, 2013 did they launch? 2013 was the launch, yeah. Mm. Um, they have a brand now. People know roughly what to expect from BT Sport. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I think they're taken seriously going into these negotiations, which obviously they would be given the mm. outlay that we had from them in, in the, the very early stages. Mm. David Kushnan, Global Communications Manager at Repcom. I know that you are a Sky Sports subscriber because I use your Sky Go occasionally. Are you a BT subscriber? You use it quite a lot because I see the uh, the metrics on my own uh, yeah. on my own Sky system. No, thank you very much. Uh, no problem. What was the question uh, if again? Anyone from Sky is listening, incidentally, please don't close that loophole down. No loophole. Because, um, no loophole. All allowed and above board. No, I'm not a BT my, Sports subscriber. No, well, that was my question. You are a sports fan and work in the sports industry, but you are not a BT Sports subscriber. Why not? Because I... Um, well, it's largely, uh, as with many people, I would imagine, many consumers, uh, it's largely a financial um, issue if you are having to subscribe to two separate pay TV pay sports TV broadcasters now mm. the um, 
the BT acquisition of the UEFA Champions League rights um, was uh, certainly in their minds, I think, seen as a little bit of a game changer. And I imagine mm. Delia Bushell was uh, mm. very, very positive about that when you uh, when you spoke to her. And um, uh, that is the kind of uh, game changing. Well, at the time the deal was announced last year, it was described as a game changing. Uh, deal or potentially game-changing deals. Since then, we've had Sky mm. very nearly breaking the bank to renew the bulk of Premier League rights. So you have a lot of high-quality uh, football that's very attractive and that that uh, clearly drives subscriptions, but now split across two um, uh, very much rival uh, broadcasters. So. To an extent, uh, there'll be a certain uh, level of consumer who, um, well, who, who can't afford um, either. There'll be probably another layer of consumers who can have to make a decision one or the other, mm. and then you will have a group who uh, are probably uh, in a position with enough disposable income to uh, subscribe to both or, or find a uh, find the most cost-effective way to do so. But it's mm. it's not probably the best thing for. Um, for consumers, this this uh, this great rivalry. Um, yeah, all the money that goes into sport, though, David. <laughs> well, we get, we get better sport. We do get better sport, but we can't watch as much of it. Um, so, um, is that a trade-off worth making? Hmm. I mean, it is interesting. It creates a dynamic that has probably not really existed in the UK before, um, because when when there have been rival broadcasters, the Sky coming into that space, they've not really had a chance. Hmm. They've had kind of the second tier stuff very much um, and you know there was never an either or it was a you know it was a sky and possibly had the other stuff on top if yeah. you were so inclined I think the expectation at BT um, and this is what what Delia expresses in the interview is that that sky model is going to disappear in the next I'm, I'm talking about the sky TV platform uh, that's going to kind of you know, begin to disappear in the next decade or two, mm. and you will see subscribers looking to pick up one channel or another channel, and that will be the expectation: is that you know you don't have to pay the, the on pick, top of something model. else. Mm. Well, you can call it that, or the yeah, pick and mix model. Okay, mm. um, and you know the expectation is that you you'll pay for one thing or something else. Mm. You won't pay for entertainment and news to get sport and movies, basically. Mm. And we're already starting to see that with the way Sky is pricing some of its. Mm. It's OTT models. Mm. Sorry, anyone else? Say, uh, is anyone a BT subscriber? I'm Mike? Not, I'm not. I frequently Adam? use a BT Sport app from someone else's account, so I, I like what? to use <laughs> so, so, so you are qualified to talk, brand talk, brand. talk about their uh, production values, I imagine. Their More production values than are, are quite good. I think what I was going to say is that if you think about two years ago when they launched, part of the conversation was Satanta and ITV Digital and ESPN and the other challenges to Sky who'd come in and been more or less disastrous across the board, particularly ITV Digital. Yeah. Um, they're not being talked about anymore. Mm. Uh, so it's been successful in as far as it's now Sky against BT Sport mm -hmm. and no one's saying, will BT Sport keep up? Mm -hmm. It's just assumed that they will because they've managed to pick up those rights. I think we'll come back to this with the China thing, what you were saying, David, about people not being able to afford necessarily two packages at once. I do think that's part of the reason Sky have had a monopoly for so long, mm. or a monopoly in inverted commas, but just because it's not necessarily anything to do with their supremacy in content terms or in production value terms. It's just been that people don't want to pay for two packages, mm. two subscriptions. Mm -hmm. 
and I wonder if that is like Owen said that is something that will just dissolve over time mm. because it can't really be maintained mm. at this level yeah and I mean that's that's not necessarily to do with uh, decisions that Sky have taken or you know to do with the quality of their output that's that's more just to do with with the way these things are being delivered now mm-hmm. um, content being delivered via broadband over the next decade in this country via fibre broadband mm. um, and you know consumers having more choice and the influence of things like Netflix and mm-hmm. Um, and these kind of pick and mm. I love it when Owen talks technical. I like it when he talks <laughs> Netflix. Yeah. And David, uh, you had a point ready in your mouth. I did. Um, it was uh, j- just to, to Adam's point um, around uh, the, the line when um, BT um, made its original move and, and surprised everybody, surprised uh, if, if not quite the world, then certainly the UK sports industry by buying that package of Premier League rights. Mm-hmm. Um, where would that have been three seasons ago mm-hmm. three years ago now yeah, just over three um, years, yeah. and uh, you know it was said at the time that BT are the ideal package really in that they have the financial clout of an ESPN and they have the will and it was always the case when ESPN were um, uh, in, in the UK in, in a more significant way and of course BT have since taken over ESPN's channel that mm. um, ESPN didn't quite have the uh, the will to take on Sky. They had all the financial uh, stuff, and of course, uh, Satanta, you could argue, had the will but not the, mm. the money. BT, uh, a, a really formidable rival to Sky, of course, now. And I think what's really interesting is, as well as um, the, the game changing deal, which, you know, initially I suppose the Premier League package of rights and, of course, the Champions League, uh, what's really interesting now is the type of deal that they are doing. Um, in other sports and, and a prime example of that is the uh, very clever deal I think they, they've struck with Cricket Australia to yep. secure the rights to the next um, Ashes mm. Test Series now Sky's argument as that rights deal with BT was announced was that well nobody's really been watching the Ashes live through the night from in Australia, the UK yeah. from Australia yeah. um, but nonetheless it's, it's a marker but it's not necessarily the type of rights package that is going to drive huge amounts of subscriptions and that's where Sky I think have to be careful now in that they have a lot of other sports that mm-hmm. you can and a lot mm-hmm. of other sports rights that you can see BT coming in in future I mean, years and I think possibly the next uh, example of that might be F1 I wouldn't be surprised if BT at least make a bid mm-hmm. for F1 when the next uh, mm-hmm. the next rights deal is, uh, is struck Owen, I wanted to come with you to come to you just to pick up on that point. I, in your piece, I know um, Delia Bushell talked about how they weren't just there splashing cash at everything, mm. and they have made their selections uh, as to what's going to drive subscriptions for them. And the rest of the stuff to build out their channel, they have very clear financial mm. limits. And I think um, she indicated that La Liga was was one of those. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the La Liga one was was interesting, and that was, I think. Um, you know the the story that emerged here about about BT having picked up those rights, mm. perhaps as much to do with just how much activity has been going on with La Liga and uh, and maybe some confusion that that arose from there. Uh, just to pick up on on what David was saying about uh, about the Cricket Australia deal, one of the things that's interesting about that is it's it's perhaps not going to drive subscriptions in itself, but it's a disruptor. Mm. That's a, a solid block of. You know, there's, there's been no other meaningful cricket mm. on any other channel for, for quite some time that would drive subscriptions. That's the first kind of 
chink in that armor and you wonder now mm. is that something else it, you know it's, it's quite highly prized by sky because mm. it is something that drives subscriptions for them mm. um the other thing to to talk about with bt of course is that you know and this is this comes back to what david was saying about the the will behind that particular operation is that they're a monopoly that's that's falling as well mm. they were they were the telecoms monopoly in this country you know legally until um, until the 1980s they took a lot of that into the private sector with them mm -hmm. most people will still have a BT landline if nothing else and you know as we move away from a kind of landline fits culture they, they have to find other ways of of covering that revenue when when competitors like Sky uh, come into yeah. come into what yeah. they're doing I think uh, just to move the conversation on a bit um, I think it's fair to say that rights holders across the full sports spectrum um, We'll be sort of rubbing their hands together a bit now that there is proper competition mm. in uh, one of the richest ATV markets in the world. And um, with Sportel coming up, um, people are going to be wanting meetings with BT. David, I know you and I have obviously been to Sportel uh, many times over the years. Uh, a new delegation. Never, never got a meeting with BT. Never, did they never ever had a meeting with BT. <laughs> um, a new delegation uh, going from Sports Pro this year, Owen Connolly and Mike Long. Uh, going over. Mm. I've put together a, uh, a handy little list for you, five things to look out for at Sporta. Right. This can act as sort of management guidance as yeah, well as uh, it's a little time. bit on there. Um, David, would you agree with me on these points? Uh, one thing to look out for at Sportel, Barry Hearn's indefatigable sales approach. Yeah, I mean it's mainly sort of hugs and backslapping. But it's um, always there. My point is... Oh. The, the Sportel lasts for, well, technically it lasts for four days, mm. but really there's only activity for two and a half days. I think Barry Hearn puts in a full three and a half day stint. Certainly does. And, uh, you know, often, dawn till dusk. Often dawn till dusk, and then he'll be doing uh, a few deals on the return EasyJet flight home uh, yeah. to, uh, to London. He's, um, he's remarkable. He, he, does, he, never, um, he never travels. Uh, across the conference floor to have meetings, no. he, he merely receives mm. people to he his, his, his matter corner. Yeah, exactly. Mm. That was very much the case in uh, Sportel Asia last year in Shanghai. Barry Hearn was there as well. He was there. Yeah, and indeed at Sportel Miami in March. So he's yeah. he's a he's, think, a, he's a he's a regular he's a fixture on the circuit. I think he is actually. I mean, you know, Barry's a great guy. We all like Barry and a, a true character in the sports industry. But I think there's a serious point there. There aren't many leaders of businesses who are so. Um, out there in terms hands of their on. sales, but hands on, he, he yeah. does the deals himself. You know, he's that's a, the, I'd imagine for a guy like that, that's the thrill, isn't it? Is 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 doing the deal or sowing the seed of a deal at an event like that? School, that's why, isn't it? Talking to people, getting mm. it done, handshake, yeah. and mm. then uh, uh, presumably leave the delivery to uh, to his team. But mm. Um, mm. no, he definitely one to look out for. One to look out for, Mike. Perhaps get yourself a meeting with Barry Hearn. I shall. Uh, point two. Fight sports, is it over? Is it finally over? We know, David, that uh, fight sports have been advertising like mad across Sportel over the last few years. Um, Mike, actually, you, you, you went to the latest... No, the latest Sportel was in Miami, wasn't it? Mm. You went to the one in Asia before that. The one in Asia, what? yeah. The UFC was there uh, en masse, yeah. um, dominating the floor in many ways, along with the NBA and, uh, and NP and Silver. Mm -hmm. um, but I have to say whilst their stand was very big, I didn't see anyone in it. Hmm. So, okay. <laughs> um, whether they were off working the floor, you know, uh, shaking hands with Barry Hearn. Pressing the flesh. Yeah. Hmm. Um, I'm not sure what was going on there. Hmm. Hmm. I think 
Um, we certainly noticed last year that there was a slight reduction in the quite the number of promotions that were scattered around uh, the sport health floor. Yeah, there was a bit of a sense last year, and maybe it was because uh, Mike Tyson was there, yeah. uh, that boxing was making a bit of a, uh, uh, a return. There was uh, certainly a heavy presence from the uh, new commercial division of IBA, the World uh, Boxing Governing Body, and I've mm-hmm. forgotten the name. Oh, the boxing arm, I believe they're called. Yeah. Um, the boxing arm is the boxing arm. Correct. No, it's, it's not the boxing arm, it's the commercial arm, isn't it? It's the commercial arm of the boxing arm. But it's called the yeah. boxing arm. Anyway, yeah. they were there and they were uh, they were very active in a way that I really haven't seen any boxing promoters mm. there before. So I, I don't know, it will be interesting to, to get a sense of, from, from what you see uh, this year as to yeah. who's there and, and who's not. I'd say there's, there's probably going to be two things um, that will be happening in... in fight sports and mixed martial arts one is that you had this kind of gold rush of promotions maybe about five years ago there's only so many fighters to go around mm-hmm. and if they all want to be in the UFC ultimately you know these other ones can exist but they can't really exist as, as kind of big television properties mm-hmm. because ultimately the further down you go mm-hmm. the more it's just going to look like something you see outside a pub on a Saturday well, night I'm not um, sure they do want. Sorry, Owen. I, I'm not sure they do want to all be in the UFC. Mm. I think that they're very. They're, they're, the best are going to end up there. The best are going to, but as you see with One FC in in Asia, it's a very kind of l- regional mm. uh, product, and they brand themselves as the leading media company in Asia or something. Uh, you know, I I just think. Sorry. No, no, no. I was just going to say, and, and one point you should make is li- is like um, like any sport, there are different disciplines you know there's there's uh, glory kickboxing um you know so it's not all ufc style mm. mixed martial arts mm. mm-hmm. um the other thing sorry with owen has a point sorry the other thing with um boxing is that we might be on the cusp of a, a sea change in how how the sport is promoted and uh and tele televised in the u.s with al Heyman and his premier boxing champions mm. and that that will start to do interesting things to that Mm-hmm. That's over the market. Mm-hmm. Point three: Who's hosting who? How and why? Um, Sportel obviously uh, has got quite the social scene. David, you'll agree. You uh, you were very active on that scene up until this year. Yes. Uh, retired from the scene now. Uh, very much a socialite who has uh, got married, I suppose. Um, it's intriguing, I think, to go round to. It's one of the things that I always enjoy about Sportel: going around to the various drinks dues, IMG hold a big thing, the EBU hold a big thing, ESPN, Satanta. And and it's a good barometer of who's doing well, especially the agencies, you know, you you know if um, if there's a particularly swish party going going Mm. on, um, you know, it's it's not inexpensive to uh, hold a party in uh, In Monte Monte Carlo Carlo, uh, at any time, and uh, they're often, they're often uh, Soirees on uh, on yachts or in local uh, hotels. Um, there's a there's a couple of uh, of renowned uh, events. One is the uh, the IMG cocktail party. Mm-hmm. Um, the other is the uh, the sort of later night, slightly uh, edgier MP and Silver Bash. Well, I I wonder what will become of that, um, and I wonder what will become of that in part two. Um, but moving on, uh, point four. Um, <laughs> 
And remember, this is your guide to sport terror. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, but part two of the podcast, uh, I will wander about so MPNC. We're on, so we're on part four of part one. No, no, at the part, moment. we're on part one. Still part one, it's just one big part one. But this is the fourth point. This, this is point four. What to look out for. What to look out for. Sport. Thank James, you, James' Thank you, guide. Mike. Thank yeah, you, Mike. Yeah, I was listening. James Emmett's guide to what to look out for at sport terror. Got it. Point four. Uh, good job I've learned how to edit. James, um, what is point four? The camaraderie of the hungover, Dave, mm. uh, across um, the market floor. Um, after all these uh, social events, you do find that there are a few sore, quite obvious sore heads um, the next day, t- the Tuesday morning, when actually that's really when you want to be doing your deals if you're one of these uh, sports media executives. Um, and it, it, is, it is quite funny to see, to see people embrace and, and vomit in the bin. Um. <laughs> and you can, you can <laughs> if, if you're if you're slightly more. Uh, um, Are we naming names here? Uh, no, if you're, no, absolutely not. But okay. if you're a slightly more um, experienced sports industry professional, sports broadcast professional, uh, you can prey on the uh, on the vulnerable and naive. Um, who uh, because you can always tell who they are because they often will arrange um, meetings at uh, nine a.m. Breakfast um, meeting. Yeah, mm-hmm. or yeah, or earlier. Yeah. Um, which is always a sign mm. that uh, they're probably a little bit new to the Sportel or teetotal experience. Mm. Um, and final point, you'll be pleased to hear, um, it will be intriguing uh, to see um, what discovery and Eurosport bring to Sportel this year. Um, and likewise, uh, the Eurosport usually have a fairly large stand, but obviously with um, discovery well and truly established as the parent company there, um, and big deals done now um, and more to come um, it will be interesting to see how they present themselves at Sportel um, likewise the deal that they've pretty m- the, their biggest deal the one that they signed with the International Olympic Committee uh, just a few months ago for um, two cycles worth of European rights um, to the Olympics they pretty much pinched that from the EBU um, which also has a big presence at Sportel in fact, their stand is usually quite close to the Eurosport uh, stand. Uh, so it'll be interesting to see the dynamic between those two and what the EBU slash Eurovision bring to the party um, this year. That'll do for part one. Coming up in part two, more stuff about broadcasters. Sports Pro, the sports industry leader in print, digital, events and, and podcasts. Welcome back to part two. Uh, we discussed Sportel. Uh, I gave my five-point plan, uh, or five things to look out for. Everyone was very pleased with all of those things. Um, we <laughs> talked about, or I talked about, Discovery and Eurosport. Um, obviously, the beefed-up, new-look Eurosport is essentially an exciting new broadcaster in the sports industry. There are a couple of other exciting, fresh, new broadcasters in the sports industry, um, and one of them, we were talking about MP and Silver earlier, um, one of them is the brainchild of former MP and Silver co-chief executive Andrea Radrazzani and current shareholder, current shareholder although mm. we're not quite sure exactly how, how many, many shares he's got. Mike, you, Owen mentioned earlier you spoke to Andrea for a piece I in did. Um, the latest edition of Sports Pro magazine. Um, you talked to him about... 11, 11 sports, 11 sports network. Is 11 it? sports network. Mm. Yeah. So What's it all about? Mm. What, I mean, well, I've been trying to work that out, and I've spoken obviously to um, Radrazani, and I'm, I'm still 
not sure if there's a hidden agenda going on here on and what he's uh, what his uh, end game is with this. Let's take um, it at face value though. What what has he told you? It's all about. So he has launched two channels. Mm. One is called Eleven, mm-hmm. um, which is uh, primarily. Uh, Broadcasting soccer, mm-hmm. and the other one, Eleven Sports, is is um, soccer plus uh, or football plus um, you know every other sport basically. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, he's launched in uh, it launched in August in uh, Poland, Belgium, and Singapore. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's some debate or, or confusion over whether they've actually launched in Malaysia, but he believes they have. Uh, <laughs> he, he at least he, well, he's, a he, hands on, <laughs> he's a hands-on chief executive. Well, he he told me he has. Surely you can check. Yeah. And I mean, we all thought he had, so let's <laughs> let's go with the fact he has. Um, Mike and I spent press day expunging references to Malaysia from. Article. Now we can put them back in. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Um, But Taiwan as well. He said there's a been a soft launch there, um, and a full launch is uh, Mm -hmm. coming in a matter of weeks. I Mm -hmm. think he said. Mm -hmm. Um, So, but that has now been confirmed. uh, The launch there. Uh, why, so, has he, yes. why, has he, why has he done that? Why has he started these broadcasters, broadcast operations? Why has he left what was, <clears throat> what apparently left what was probably mm. a fairly lucrative role at a growing mm-hmm. rights agency to start up in the uh, the complicated and difficult world well, of broadcasting? This is it, and he he says um, that he has you know had this move, this jump from agency to broadcaster. Um, in his uh, thoughts for a while, mm-hmm. um, obviously he has background in this. Um, uh, he helped as as co chief executive of um, of MPN Silver. He mm-hmm. uh, helped launch or oversaw the launch of the In Sports uh, channels mm-hmm. in uh, Indonesia, um, Thailand. Mm. Uh, were there a number of other uh, other markets as well? I think there were a couple more, but that's the that's the, the sort of this JV the, channel that BN have just bought in its entirety. Exactly, they've just bought MP and Silver out of these channels. Okay. Uh, so he obviously oversaw that. Um, so obviously he's seen some kind of opportunity here. Uh, he says obviously these f- uh, four, perhaps five, maybe three markets that they've gone into uh, are all very similar for the fact that. You know, middle class is growing. There's a big uh, growing uptake of uh, pay TV in mm-hmm. these markets. Mm-hmm. So he sees that as an opportunity. Mm-hmm. Uh, he struck carriage deals with a number of the major players in each of these markets. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, it's very early days for Eleven. They've, uh, you know, they don't have any studios to speak of yet. No. Um, they're just, you know, just buying rights and, and pre-produced stuff. Exactly. Are they taking it mostly from MP and Silver? And yes, mm. I believe they are, James. Mm. They have acquired a number of properties, primarily their football. Mm-hmm. So Syria, um, Ligue 1 mm-hmm. from France and um, La Liga, mm-hmm. uh, among other sports. Um, so this is the thing. This is what has led to much of the confusion uh, from certainly people you, know, you and I have spoken to. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, this, uh, this link between MP and Silver and Eleven... You know, he's obviously been quick to go back to his his ch- old chums at uh, MP and Silver. He hasn't and, burned and his bridges, has he? He certainly hasn't. No. Um, and acquired many of their rights. So, um, so it, it, I mean, he hasn't, uh, you know, openly stated what his 
what his endgame is. What his endgame is, mm. but you know, there's some speculation. I'm sure there is. David, you, you would expect just uh, referencing uh, Sportel again. You would expect some sort of uh, uh, big eleven sports uh, uh, stand or display or some uh, something uh, there, given how um, how much MP and Silver have embraced Sportel in um, over the past what five plus years but um, I, I just wonder how public they're going to be with this with this link between MP and Silver and, and Eleven Sports you know how much are they going to want to to broadcast the fact you know so to speak that they are Rajazani is the, their link and you know that they yeah. are shipping off rights it, to him it, it is it is a tricky situation certainly one you know looking at it from the outside there must be an element of um anti-competitive processes going on that I mean I'm sure um, there's all sorts of due diligence mm -hmm. and, and, and what not going on but if I was a broadcaster in those markets and I see rights being siloed off to a new broadcaster I'd probably question what's going on there mm -hmm. but I mean let's see how it pans out I suppose. I did uh, sorry just to add I did present you know ask this question of Radrazani and he obviously straight batted it away and mm. said that um, you know his old friends aren't giving him these rights for you know anything less than market value mm. that they could get elsewhere and he's having to mm. you know enter the enter a formal bid as mm. as others are so mm. whether that's true question you know they're going to face isn't it this isn't you know it's so out there it's so uh, straightforward to make that link that yeah we we're all sitting around here asking the question and I'm sure when they were conceptualising the, the channel Mm. They knew that was something they were going to have to come up against. Mm. Another uh, exciting new broadcaster that's ripped up the rule book in uh, well in one main market is uh, Le TV, LETV. Le TV, I'm reliably informed. Adam Adam Nelson, Chinese one experts. of the leading uh, now one of the leading European experts on uh, the business model of <laughs> uh, of Le, Le TV. Uh, they're a French broadcaster in China, are they? They're not. No, no. no. Um, I wish they were. Tell us about Latour. Obviously, this is a uh, for years and years and years. China has been the sort of holy grail for sports entities across the world. Um, get broadcast in China, get rich quick, basically. But the only way that you can, well, the, the only way that you could do that in the past um, was to get a deal with CCTV, the national the national broadcaster, and because that was the only way to do it, CCTV didn't pay anything. What's happened? What, this new player has come along. They're internet only. Yeah. What's it all about? So what's happened is the internet has come along. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> and that means that it's, it's not just Le TV, uh, although they are, probably, they are the biggest spenders in the last year, um, but uh, PPTV, uh, Tencent Sports, Cena Sports, uh, the last two are connected with um, social media networks in China. Mm. Uh, and... But what are they? What they are doing is using over-the-top internet channels to broadcast uh, directly onto people's laptops, computers. Hmm. The reason that Le TV's model is so interesting is because they make everything. Um, they last month announced a smart car and a smart bicycle, mm -hmm. um, which I don't know what a smart bicycle does, but they, they they're, they're going to broadcast Champions but they, League. It's going to have on the on, on the handlebars, mm. yeah, um, which is a health hazard, especially in a busy city like Beijing. But, yeah. um, where was I? Uh, you were talking about. So they make they, they make they they have announced a smart car, smart bike, but they also make smart TVs and smartphones, which they are 
at the moment, including their uh, sports package with, when you buy TV, you get a year for free of their, um, or not more than a year at the moment, they haven't announced the date on it yet, but you get their sports package uh, included in that. Mm-hmm. Um, and then they are using this as a kind of Trojan horse to bring in a pay TV model, mm-hmm. which is not something that's been well received traditionally in China. They don't like paying for media rights. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the interesting things is that uh, Supersports, who own the Premier League rights, and they have a long deal on that, they have that until 2019, yeah. this year have announced that they're going to keep 150 of their 380 games behind a paywall. Mm-hmm. Um, so they also are trying to break through this idea that in China mm-hmm. you can't charge for um, TV Has purchases. there been a sort of a deregulation or, or some sort of government thing that's... that's no. Okay, uh, and, so. this, and this is what's interesting because uh, CCTV are obviously haven't yet lost traction in the market um, mm. they still are such a broadcasting giant that mm. they're, they're keeping their end up mm-hmm. but a lot of the regional um, channels which is traditionally not necessarily bigger than CCTV but they're the ones who are buying the smaller rights packages and showing they're things buying in, in local markets rights from, the, from super sports yeah. and showing it within local markets yeah. um, are now losing losing viewers losing advertising revenue losing everything mm-hmm. uh, so there is speculation that, that the government, because CCTV is a, a government-run, mm. government-funded body, um, and most of these local bodies are subsidiaries of CCTV, mm-hmm. um, that there will be some kind of regulation mm. to prevent this happening. Mm. So, Le TV, exciting, but exciting for how long? Um, they have sort of broken out, as well as making everything, they're also making moves into other markets. I know Hong Kong is obviously part of China, but... It's a it's it's a very well, distinct market. But they just bought the, the, the they had the they paid three hundred million dollars for the Premier League rights recently. Yeah, um, and that's interesting as well because obviously Hong Kong is is a part of China, but a separate market. But it means that a lot of a lot of what's broadcast in Hong Kong is also available in in China. Yeah, uh, if Le TV are broadcasting the Premier League in Hong Kong, what does that mean for SuperSports uh, exclusive rights on the on the Premier League? Mm. Um, it throws up a lot of questions. They've also, um, having spent all that money on the Premier League rights to take them from PCCW, mm. who's the, the state broadcaster in Hong Kong, or the incumbent broadcaster in Hong Kong, mm. they've now leased some of those rights back to PCCW under their Now TV banner, mm. which is seems largely to suggest that they're not making enough money from this subscription package, and the only way that they can make money back, having spent all this money, is to sublet. Uh, sub-license the, um, the do, rights. Do you know where they're getting a three hundred million dollars? Is a is a lot of money to to, a lot of money. to put down uh, for any sort of rights. Do you know Do you know how where they're getting that money from? Uh, they have a lot of uh, investors. Investors. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, I think Wanda yeah. are involved. Mm-hmm. Um, Alibaba. Alibaba significantly uh, just a few weeks ago invested a lot of money. So uh, capitalism is uh, taking hold in China. Yeah, and the other interesting thing is that Alibaba have uh, stakes in now in Le TV, PPTV, and Tencent. I think three of the main spreading, their, spreading their bets. So, so, so yeah, they're, they're either spreading their bets or at some point they're going to incorporate everything, and we're going to have Alibaba Sports. As yeah, a yeah. And they've just established a dedicated uh, sports group as well, Alibaba, in a, in a bid, some say, to save their ailing uh, e-commerce business, which is actually. Uh, has been huge you know uh, Alibaba had uh, a record breaking IPO um, some months ago um, but 
you know, they're looking increasingly looking to sports as Wanda are as well. Wanda is it? Is Wanda, it's Wanda. 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 Yeah. Um, so there, I think there's a wider um, issue here, and I wrote, I wrote about it in in my column last month um, in the September issue, which is the Chinese government is very much um, encouraging industry in China, whether it be you know agriculture, finance, uh, you know. Um, sport internet companies encouraging this um, uptake in uh, internet usage and, and in encouraging companies to, to move online in many mm. ways and for the big internet companies uh, like Alibaba this has obviously given them license to then go and pursue um, uh, you know further growth and, mm. and Alibaba are increasingly becoming a kind of uh, uh, key bearer for, for foreign companies looking to get into China mm -hmm. um, so Real Madrid are partnered with them. I think Kobe Bryant's uh, uh, production company recently partnered with them. Mm. Uh, Unilever. Uh, so companies are using them in that way, mm. um, aiming to capitalise on this huge e-commerce uh, reach they have, especially in rural areas in China and things like that. Mm. Um, so yeah, I think uh, I think we're certainly going to see more in future of, of uh, Alibaba looking to acquire rights and, and investing in these kind of services. As, as a way then to uh, you know provide a full package to the Chinese so consumer, diversify. To just diversify. Out that the Alibaba Sports that Mike mentioned is actually tied up with uh, Sina, mm -hmm. who the company who run Weibo or Weibo, as I was told it's pronounced, Weibo. Um, which is the, the kind of Chinese Facebook, and it's yeah. an enormous social network. Um, so that has not only that kind of built-in audience, but the financial power of Alibaba behind it, yeah. um, and it's just another finger they have mm. in that particular pie. Chinese pie. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Um, that'll do for part two. Thank you very much uh, for all that Chinese insight. Uh, coming up in part three, agencies. Sports Pro, the sports industry leader in print, digital, events and, and podcasts. Welcome back to part three. It's time to talk about agencies. Um, Owen. You'll know from editing uh, the latest edition of Sports Pro magazine, issue 81. 81. Issue 81. We hope, because that's what it says on the cover and the spine. Congratulations on your 81st uh, edition of Sports Pro. Um, you'll know from uh, having edited that that I interviewed Yoris Franchini from, uh, from IMG. What can you tell me about my own piece? Um, well, I read a lot of pieces, James, so you'll have to forgive me if any of the details go awry. The, um, <laughs> Joris Francini is, is the president of IMG Media and Events and has kind of uh, taken hold of that operation as they, as you know, in the post-WME yeah. takeover, the, the wider company has moved back to its roots in uh, talent management. That's true. So he is now in a, in a position of, um, you know, real influence within the, the bigger company. Yeah. Um, and is managing their their various rights deals and, and initiatives like Sport Twenty Four, which is the um, uh, the aeroplane live sport airlines offering. And, and cruise liners. Mm. Mm. I've actually I think I've watched something on Sport Twenty Four before. Yeah, were you on a Lufthansa plane? I was on uh, Etihad, I think, oh, okay. back from Abu Dhabi. Um, but um, and the other thing, you know, while he's it, it's not quite business as usual, but very much IMG stuff he's been working on 
he's also incorporating what WME want him to do in selling uh, scripted programming. Well, that's the key. I think that's that's one of the key things uh, to come from this interview. Well done, Owen, by the way, for remembering what yeah. it's all about. Um, yeah, basically, WME uh, bought IMG. The deal was done towards the end, December 2013, I think, and they've spent a long time... Um, working out what they're going to do, hiring and firing, as, as is the process whenever um, a company gets acquired, I suppose. And they're just really at the point now where they are properly consolidating divisions and, and working out um, how they're going to use each other to, to grow different areas of their business. And Yoris was talking specifically about um, a kind of trial run that they did, um, WME, foisted this uh, scripted product on them, The Night Manager um, was the name of the series, um, TV series to, to come out in 2016, starring Hugh Laurie, Olivia Coleman, and as Yoris frantically looked for, uh, <laughs> frantically searched for the names of other people in it, a lot of other important actors. Right. Um, and uh, basically w WME deeply involved in this um, production and uh, distributing it around the world. And Yoris was saying that what they would normally do is rely on third-party agencies in different markets where they don't have any particular sales expertise. IMG has a good 35 offices, sales offices around the world who are used to talking to broadcasters on a daily basis, selling them sports stuff. Uh, so WME thought, right, well, let's give this a go, and gave the night manager to Yoris and to give to his teams. Um, they took it in five or six um, important markets, Australia, New Zealand, uh, the Nordics, and a couple of others. And um, Yoris said they just they smashed it out of the park, basically. They, um, uh, there, there were some sort of sales targets that were set, and they exceeded them in every market. The Nordics was especially... Christian Heysen, um, sort of experienced IMG guy in the Nordics, um, absolutely overachieved. And, um, well, it's a sign that... that IMG will definitely be selling, uh, selling, selling entertainment, proper entertainment products, yeah, movies really. and, and series in the future. It's got Im interesting implications. I mean, I think in a, a previous version of this podcast, I seem to remember talking about immediately post the takeover what WME wanted to do with um, with IMG mm. and whether it, IMG's reach into into emerging markets and into different markets around the world would would come back into the loop for what WME do in entertainment so it will be interesting you know IMG are, are, are very active in India they're active in um, in Brazil although I know that they've been kind of moving away from those those joint venture style initiatives in places like Brazil and Turkey but um, yeah certainly they, they have a a very wide ranging set of operations and you know and it'll be mm. interesting to see we, we, we thought of this as being a deal in sport but it's It'll be interesting to see how much it's a deal in entertainment as well. I think they have all the pieces in place, don't they, to to be doing very well as sport and entertainment fuses ever more mm. tightly. And I think one of the most interesting things that I've seen them do recently um, was the deal that they struck with Turner uh, in the last few days in the... Um, in the USA to create uh, an, e an entirely new esports gaming league which will be broadcast uh, not on the internet uh, as most of these things are at the moment but on primetime US TV mm. uh, which 
I mean, let's see if it if it works or not. The jury is probably still out on whether it does, but um, it, it just shows that they are one of the few companies, and we probably mentioned a, a couple in the last part, coming from China, that are probably getting to that stage. They They are a company who, as they are now, have the ability to... Uh, they have all the divisions to be able to mm. cherry pick and, and take mm. um, and, and do what they want from from creating an entirely new sports league to uh, bringing in scripted drama element and, and being that you know mm. that true sort of Hollywood agency that, that WME has always been. Um, I, you know they've got a really broad you know and there are there are challenges in in that it is so broad and you can pick and choose from anything. Um, but uh, I think then I think they're very nicely set up. Another agency that really should have um, should be able to pick and choose what they do and, and, and take things forward and grow different pockets of of businesses. Um, the newly rebranded Lagarde Sports and Entertainment. Obviously, um, they they've just very recently uh, rebranded um, all of their sports entities: Sport Five, IEC and Sport, World Sport Group, Lagarde Unlimited. Ups a lot, a host of others. Um, they've all been rebadged under the Lagarde Sports and Entertainment um, banner, I suppose. And and that's an agency that obviously shares a name with and offices with uh, the largest French language publishing house. I suppose they've got all the strings to their bow that WME has, except not necessarily in Hollywood. Um, and the reason I introduced this topic is because I went along earlier today to talk to um, Andrew Georgiou the Chief Operating Officer of Lagarde Sports and Entertainment, and um, this is what he told me about the rebrand. But could you just take us through um, the thinking behind changing all to Lagarde Sports and Entertainment? Yeah, I think Lagarde Sports and Entertainment is actually the, the, end, the end game. It's the end of the journey. It's mm -hmm. actually not... Um, it, well, it's the end of the first part of the journey, okay. if you know what I mean. Yeah. It's, for, for us, the first step of what we had to achieve was to actually integrate our business. Mm -hmm. And we made that decision 18, 24 months ago mm -hmm. um, to pull all the historical agencies that had been acquired by Lagardere Group and pull them into one business. And, and that task was quite an important first step mm -hmm. um, because we couldn't then change our brand into a single brand without having the ability to present ourselves as one business, which we can now do. Yeah. So when I say that the, the rebranding is the end of the of the journey, it's the end of the first phase of us, which is which is a message to our um, clients and, and our industry to say, we're now one business, we're now presenting ourselves as one business, and as a result, we've done away with all the legacy mm -hmm. um, brands, which have a lot of equity to them, mm -hmm. but have made the decision that it's actually more valuable for us to present ourselves as a single brand, mm -hmm. um, and we've made that change. Mm -hmm. what, what are your immediate priorities over, over the next 12 months? Oh, I, I think, look, it's time to get back to business mm -hmm. for us. So Enough about the changes. Enough about the changes, it, yes. yes. I mean, look, we had to provide the right platform to regrow mm -hmm. our business, and um, it's not to say that um, all of our business need needed you know relaunching because a, a lot of our business is doing very well and continues to do very well Africa Asia mm -hmm. North America, mm -hmm. but um, we did have some challenges in Europe we did have some challenges with Sport Five International, but for us in order to move forward we had to put the right foundations in place and I feel we've done that now, mm -hmm. so we've got one business with a consistent and integrated approach to market. We've got a business that's got single 
coherent brand that people can understand um, and we've got teams that are working together mm -hmm. in, in an unprecedented way within our organization. Mm -hmm. So now it's time to get out in the market and, and demonstrate what we can do. Sports Pro, the sports industry leader in print, digital, events and, and podcasts. That'll do for today. Thank you very much uh, to everyone here, Sports Pro colleagues, past and present. Thank you very much to Mike Long. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you very much to David Cushman. Oh, thank you. Thank you very much to Adam Nelson. Thank you. And thank you, Owen Connolly. Thank you, Jen.